Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to part two of our CT of the Acute Abdomen GI Applications. And in part one, I went through a very detailed look at some of the acute process in the stomach, from GI bleeding to ulcer disease. And let's look at some of the things in small bowel, but I'm going to try to cover some of the things perhaps you don't think about on a daily basis, but are very important to think about when you're looking at scans. So when we talk about small bowel disease, the basics. Wall thickening typically means over three millimeters, which means if I see a wall, it's probably thickened. We look for bowel enhancement. Is it increased or decreased? And this is much easier to see when you have water as a contrast agent, which is why water is ideal, or volumen, or its equivalent when you're doing dedicated small bowel studies. We look for positioning of the bowel, whether it's in a hernia, internal or external hernia. We look for malrotation, all things that can lead to bowel obstruction. And we look at the mesenteric fat, which is often a good sign of underlying disease in the bowel. It's kind of a good secondary sign, whether it's fiber fatty proliferation, as we see in Crohn's disease, whether it's the vessels with a comb sign in Crohn's disease, whether it's haziness around what appears to be mesenteric uh, paniculitis, or whether it's diverticulitis with haziness in the pericolonic soft tissues uh, are all things we look at. And with the diverticulitis, I'm talking about small bowel diverticulitis, particularly jejunar or ileal, but also we speak about the colon. Now, active bleeding, we spoke about the stomach, very much the same thing in the duodenum. You can see in this case, it looks like some positive high density in the second portion of duodenum and third portion to fourth portion. Obviously, you want to make sure the patient wasn't given oral contrast material. You can look at the stomach and distal bowel, and they were not. And when you're looking at, particularly nicely seen in this coronal perspective, is a really good look at the patient's um, duodenum with what appears to be active bleeding present. Just a very nice example of that. A really, really nice example, to put it mildly. So when you look at that, you really realize now you have a GI bleed, it's second portion of duodenum, where precisely is it coming from? You're gonna look carefully, but you know the patient has a very obvious bleed, so just a very nice way of looking at that. Here's another patient, again, blood in the duodenum. The first thing you see is the high density in duodenum. You know there has to be blood somewhere, but in some cases you're just not gonna see the active bleed, but here you see the active bleed, and this is arterial phase imaging. You see the active bleed in the second portion of duodenum. I don't see a mass there, so it means it must be an ulcer in all likelihood, and probably a benign ulcer, but look at the blood proximal and distal to it, right? Very nicely shown there. And there's the ulcer, the very bright area with the active contrast extravasation. And here it is as you go from arterial to venous, you can see that its brightness actually increased. Just a very nice example of that. Now, when we look at this small bowel looking for GI bleed, again, dedicated small bowel studies are ideal. CT enterography, perhaps, is the correct term. The number one cause is angiodysplasia, vascular dysplasias in general are near the top. Small bowel neoplasms, benign or malignant. Malignant, think about adenocarcinoma, but particularly think about smaller gist tumors. And then, of course, things like Meckel's diverticulum are all things we think about in the realm of small bowel. Now, one of the things about angiodysplasia, it often goes unrecognized or underappreciated in the axial view. 
You can see on these images, and I circled it, there's some high density in the patient's duodenum. What exactly is that? Is that bleeding sites? And when you scan further down on coronal, you actually recognize there are several of those high density regions present. Are these multiple sites of bleeding? What exactly am I looking at? Well, when you take that image and now you go to MIP, you see all of these little bright dots, you see the prominent vessels, but you really see far more of these high bright areas than you saw in the axial or you saw in the coronal. And this is a typical appearance of angiodysplasia of the small bowel. Can have a very similar appearance with angiodysplasia of the large bowel. But just look how nice you see it on the MIP. Even in retrospect, looking at the coronal, you see a few bright areas. And maybe you should comment, I wonder why they're there and what am I dealing with? But when you go to the MIP, it becomes much more obvious. Now, when we talk about small bowel tumors, um, we talk about adenocarcinoma, we talk about carcinoids, we talk about gist tumor, we talk about metastasis, we talk about lymphoma, and those are the subjects of another lecture. But gist tumors are particularly interesting because one of the things in recognizing them, be it stomach or small bowel, they typically grow in an exophytic pattern, so they're easier to recognize. When just tumors get large, they typically don't have spontaneous bleeding, but when they're small, they commonly will bleed. Just tumors also can cause obstruction by intersuscepting. They can, as they grow exophytically, in fact, rupture and cause hemoperitoneum. So it's a very, very important, important tumor to remember. Now, here's this article by Scola made the point. Occasionally, in terms of gist tumors, getting to the gist, what a great title. Patients may present with GI bleeding, which may be occult or frank hemorrhage. Likewise, tumors can rupture, causing intraperitoneal hemorrhage, which can be life-threatening. So, when you're seeing tumors that bleed, you've got to think about gist. Here's a nice example of a gist tumor in the proximal jejunum. You can see very nicely on the image on your right, how the lesion grows exophytically. And here it is in 3D as well. Again, differential, I would have thought about carcinoid, metastasis, adenocarcinoma, lymphoma, but a small tumor, 2CM, exophytic, you gotta be thinking about just tumor. And here's another patient with GI bleed as the presentation. There's a mass also in jejunum, prominent vessels, but on these images, it looks intraluminal. Again, think carcinoid, think vascular renal cell carcinoma if the patient had a history of renal cell. And this would be a MET. But really think about just tumor. And this is a nice example of a just tumor which bled. You can see the prominent vessels really nicely shown. Now, when you go to the colon, we talk about different causes of GI bleeding from inflammatory to ischemic to cancer, to complications of therapy, including radiation and chemotherapy, as well as trauma. Now, we spoke a few moments ago about angiodysplasia of the small, of the small bowel. Angiodysplasia accounts for 6% of lower GI bleeding. Is it abnormal proliferation of venules and capillaries within the submucosal layer of bowel? Therefore, you understand its CT appearance. The generation of blood vessels related to aging. The majority, when they occur in the large bowel, occur in the right colon. Colonoscopy is not sensitive for this diagnosis. 
uh, densely opacified and dilated draining veins, early filling veins, dilated filling feeding artery, vascular submucosal tufts in the wall of the colon are all things you can recognize and arterial images are typically going to be key. Now one thing also to comment on, and again this goes back to my battle to push you to look at multiplanar on 3D. If you look at these axial images, when you look hard there looks like some prominent vessels here, but it's not the most impressive thing I've ever seen. But look at that region when you go to the coronal MIP imaging. Look at the irregular vessels involving of the cecum ascending colon, prominent iliocolic vessel. That's a classic appearance for um, angiodysplasia of the colon. Just beautifully, it's right-sided. You see the appearance. Very easy to recognize. Here it is as we go from MIP to volume rendering. But again, it's somewhat of a subtle diagnosis on the axial views. That's why surely when you're looking at potential for GI bleed, always at least look at the sliding MIPS. Again, the sliding MIPS are very good for showing sources of bleeding. Uh, so again, a very important thing to do. Nicely shown here. And again, angiodysplasia, whether it's MIP or volume rendering, the 3D mapping can really accentuate the process. Now in terms of GI bleeding, when we look for GI bleeding in general, we always say you need dual phase, good injection, no oral contrast. Oral can be confusing because if you look at this image, you see something by the left colon. You can think it's foreign matter, but it shouldn't be foreign matter. And it should just be a site of bleeding into the patient's descending colon. Now, let's say you weren't sure. Now, theoretically, if you had a non-contrast scan, you could see high density there or not. But the thing I found with non-contrast, often it's not that helpful. And if you want to do two phases, it's better arterial and venous. Between arterial and venous, you see every bleed. Many of the venous phase studies best show the bleed. And when someone's bleeding between arterial and venous, you know, the likelihood of a positive angio is indeed much higher. So here's that same patient as you go from the um, arterial to the venous. Look how much more impressive the bleeding is in the venous phase. Here you should recognize it, but there it's particularly impressive. And you know the patient's actively bleeding. Look at the coronal views, just a little dot on the image on your left, which was a site of bleeding. But look how much more impressive it is 30 seconds later. So again, our recommendation is do dual phase imaging, arterial and venous. Um, here's another example of a patient with abdominal pain, uh, suspected GI bleeding. You can see the bright blush on the image on your right, and it's in a diverticulum. This is diverticular bleeding. There it is, arterial phase, very easy to recognize, no confusion. Every once in a while you get confused because the diverticulum has high density material within it from prior study. Um, but here you can see the linear line going to that outpouching. You also would see as you go from the arterial phase imaging to the venous phase imaging, the extent of the bleeding, although impressive on arterial, becomes even more impressive on the venous. And again, I talk, I'm talking about 30 seconds arterial, 60 to 70 seconds venous. And look how much more impressive the bleed is. So now you know exactly what to say. There's a bleed descending colon, in a diverticulum, mid-colon, and by the way, the bleed is active. 
and there's increase between arterial and venous, suggesting if you do an angiogram, you're going to be able to find the site of bleeding. Now, what's also very important is many times the bleeding will stop, but because CT is so good at localizing the bleeding, the uh, the person doing the angiogram, typically the interventional radiologist, will be able to embolize the vessel of concern. Remember, you're there already, you'd hate to not embolize the vessel, and then an hour later the patient rebleeds. So comfortable with the imaging, many of the senior interventional radiologists will embolize, even though they may not see any obvious act of bleeding on the angiogram. And here's just a good example from the sagittal perspective. If you look at this case of GI bleeding, uh, it's due to the uh, patient with ulcerative colitis. There's prominent rectal enhancement, prominence, uh, really a very classic appearance. And you see it better on the sagittal, you see it better on the MIP sagittal, where you really see the feeding vessels from the IMA. It's a very common area to get cirrhotic-related bleeding in patients with varices. Uh, collateral pathways down there, the rectal vessels become really engorged, and this can be the source of the patient's bleeding. And again, with CT angiography, with MIP imaging, when you uh, really get into the images, you can really see how nicely you can create angiographic-like projections, showing you the prominent vessels of the IMA and how those vessels are actually having this bright blush, and you know for sure that that blush is a source of the patient's GI bleeding. Now, as I mentioned, even when you do get arterial phase bleeding, which increases to venous phase, angio may still be negative. Here was a great case. This is arterial phase. Look at the patient's rectum. It's distended with stool, but not much else. There's some high density, perhaps. So maybe you had a bleed, but I don't see active bleeding. But look at the venous phase. Look how active that bleeding is, okay? Very bright blood. So a good example where the arterial phase would have led you astray. Beautiful, it, there it is on the sagittal view. Very active bleeding, okay? Just a really nice example. This article by Marty about a decade ago, CT angiography performed in the emergency setting in patients with acute lower intestinal bleeding is feasible and can show the presence and location of bleed. Now, it's interesting, those were the days when people were saying it was possible, but articles like Marty's showed a very high sensitivity and specificity. This is an article when Shiva Raman was at Hopkins talking about the value of using CT pre-colonoscopy because we can find the site of bleeding, determine its cause, and then determine how to manage the patient from that information alone. In this article by Sue, the absolute size and volume of hemorrhage, as well as the interval change between arterial and portal phase imaging on CTA, is predictive of subsequent positive catheterangiography, which basically means that when you go from arterial to venous and you don't see any bleeding, there's a good chance you're not going to see any bleeding when you go to angiography. Now, a couple other examples. This patient has abdominal pain. You see looking for the source. Well, the first thing you see, there's a camera here. So the patient was getting a GI camera study, one of those looking for a source of bleeding. The fact was, unfortunately, the patient has some uh, thickening of bowel and there was an area of narrowing and now the capsule is obstructing. 
and what they, the camera did not find was a source of bleeding, which was this distal Meckel's diverticulum, this outpouching off the patient's uh, terminal ilium with high density centrally. Remember that Meckel's can bleed because they have ectopic gastric mucosa. Just a beautiful example. Again, it can simulate thickened bowel, it can simulate appendicitis perhaps in the right clinical setting, but just beautiful example of GI bleeding, and there's the Meckel scan confirming the finding. Now with Meckel's, although it's usually the pediatric population where you see GI bleeding, you also can see it with adults, and in the right clinical scenario, it can be a very difficult diagnosis to make. Just some comments, Meckel's most common congenital anomaly of the GI tract occurs in up to 2% of the population, occurs within 60 centimeters of the ileocecal valve and up to six centimeters in length. A little more than half of these patients, it contains ectopic gastric mucosa, and that's why technetium protecnicate scans can be very valuable uh, to define their location. Now, there are several other things I wanted to speak about, but I think what I'll do is, I know the third talk will be short, but let's take a break here. This probably is a good time to take a break, and we'll come back and finish up. If you like this video, make sure to subscribe to the CTSS YouTube channel. You can also visit us at ctss.com for even more videos, plus quizzes, pearls, protocols, and oh so much more. We're also in the App Store and have well over a dozen apps for iPhone and iPad, all completely free. Thanks for watching.